up First uh, John this morning, uh, so obviously we're in First John chapter 5. Uh, we left off at verse 17 last time. We're going to pick up at 18 and take it to the bottom of the chapter. And if I were to title this as we wrap up, we'd talk about the understanding that God gives. The understanding that God gives. Because today we're going to see John wrap up his epistle by talking about the confidence and the insight that knowing God gives to a believer. We talked a little bit about that last week. We're going to talk a little bit more as John wraps up this morning. So I'll read our passage. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 goes like this. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are born of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for this day you've given to us. We thank you for the opportunities that it has. We ask that your Holy Spirit will show us those opportunities so that we can avail ourselves of them. We never know how many more opportunities we're going to have to make your name great and to shine your gospel in this dark world. Help us to that end. Guide us through your word here. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So as we look at verse 18, we see right off the bat, John says that the person who's been born again sinneth not. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now we've seen similar language to this uh, back in chapter 3. Let's let's back up and look at it. John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. Let's look at verse uh, 6 and 7. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So he talks about sinning not. Skip down to verses 9 and 10. Same chapter. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. And when we went through chapter 3, we talked about how that does not mean that a believer is sinless and perfect. I'm not sinless and perfect. You're not either. I hope I'm not breaking new news to you. Uh, What we talked about back in chapter 3 is that we're not going to live a lifestyle of chronic sin. We don't live a lifestyle of sin. And why is that so? John answers it right here, uh, chapter 5, verse 18. Because he is born of God. Now, uh, again, I got to tell you, the second phrase here, He that is begotten of God keepeth himself. This is where the King James is a bit misleading here. If we're reading the King James, it's a bit misleading. 
in that it seems to still be talking about the believer when it follows up with he keepeth himself. It's not talking about the believer. It's, this is a spot where the King James is actually not translating, it's interpreting. The editors of the King James were interpreting here, not translating. The phrase literally reads, he who was begotten of God protects him. Jesus is the subject here. Jesus is the one who was begotten of God, right? And he's not keeping himself. The, the word uh, that's translated himself refers back to the previous phrase, which is talking about the believer. The himself is talking about the believer. That's why I say it literally should read, he who is begotten of God protects him. Jesus protects us, the believer. That's what biblical study is all about. The King James editors were interpreting here. They were not translating. And I think evidence proves that they screwed up there. The root word of born and begotten are the same, but the tense in which they are used is different. And that's why one, uh, we've got a distinction. That's what makes all the distinction. Jesus, by his physical birth, was literally sent by God to be born. That's what begotten means. He was sent by God to be born, a human being conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that's the sense in which he was begotten. As the begotten Son of God, he is the only one who is capable of protecting us or keeping us from our own sinful natures and desires, right? I can't keep myself from my own sin nature. My own sin nature is with me all the time, always trying to bring me down. Jesus is the only one who can keep me from that. And that's consistent with what Jesus prayed himself in John chapter 17 when he said, I have kept all of them safe from the evil one, especially the ones God's given him. Go ahead and read John chapter 17 yourself. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been an awful lot of references to the evil one in this book. The evil one gets referred to over and over and over in 1 John. In chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we saw John refer to the young men as people who had overcome the evil one. I'm not going to reteach that. In chapter 3, verse 12, he warned us to not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one. And you can back up and read that. In the next verse that we're going to look at here, verse 19, chapter 5, verse 19, we're going to see him speak of the whole world as being under the power of the evil one. The evil one that he speaks of here is none other than the devil himself. That's clearly who we're talking about. We've talked about that earlier. We're talking about it now. So what John is saying here is that Jesus will keep us safe from the devil and from the harm that he can inflict on us. What a blessing that is to know, huh? But we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. We're not done thinking about that, but that is quite a blessing to know. You know, there's a unity that we have in Christ, isn't there? That's been one of the main themes of 1 John as we're going through, is that John keeps reminding us over and over and over. He commands us, he reminds us, he uh, encourages us to love one another, to be united with one another. I did a lot of driving this week. <clears throat> I do a lot of driving all the time anyway, but uh, I did a lot of driving this week, and I was listening to an old recording from Alistair Begg, something he did years ago. And he made a really good point. 
we're here in the church building here, and he made the point that we're trying to uh, practice for heaven, aren't we? We're practicing for heaven. Uh, you know what heaven's going to be like? You know who's in heaven already? One day we'll be there. Who's in heaven already? Well, there's, yeah, yes, the Lord is there. I mean human beings. Uh, something that Alistair Begg was talking about, Charles Wesley is there. Martin Luther is there. Uh, let me think of some other. John Calvin is there. And you know what? They're all getting along. They're all getting along. Now, we can sit here and argue, wow, you're just a Calvinist or you're just a Wesleyan. Well, those boys are both up in heaven, and they both get along just fine, so why don't we practice it down here? Uh, and I thought that was pretty insightful. But move on to verse 19, because I got a little aside there. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Lieth in wickedness being under the power of the evil one, as we just talked about. We know that we are of God. Now, John can say that because if we're genuinely Christians, then we've been spiritually reborn, right? And in that sense, then we're truly the children of God. Now, we've spoken about this before in this book many, many times as well. The fact that we're born, been spiritually reborn and we're born of Christ stands in pretty stark contrast with the whole world, which lies in wickedness. I'm lying in Christ, and in His righteousness, the world around me, everything out here, lies in wickedness. The difference between us as believers and the rest of the world is that we belong to God, while the world is under the control of the devil. I was talking with a gentleman up at Poland Springwater about this just Friday. The reason that we're not under the control of the devil is the same reason that we saw back in verse 18. Jesus has kept us safe from the devil. It's just like what John wrote about in his gospel, throughout his gospel. We saw, let's look at some of them. All right, we got time. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. As I said earlier, this is going to be a short lesson today because I just run out of book. I don't have any more book to... I mean, uh, John chapter 12, verse uh, 31. Now, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. He's talking about the devil as the prince of this world. Uh, skip over to... Uh, John chapter 14, verse 30, where it says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Same page in the Pew Bible, uh, 16, verse 11. He's talking about the things that uh, the Holy Ghost is going to be teaching us. Let's back up to uh, verse 8. We'll read verse 8 down to 11. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. This world has a prince. The prince is none other than the devil himself. And he 
rules this world, and this world is under his wickedness. That's what John was saying in 5 verse 19. But Jesus has kept us safe from him as believers. Again, what a blessing to know, isn't it? Satan has no authority over the Christian. No Christian can say, the devil made me do it. Satan has no authority over us. The world can't help it. But we can. That's what I was talking with Peter up at Poland Springwater Friday. Let's move on to verse 20. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He starts off, and we know that the Son of God has come. Now, that phrase, is come, is yet another reference to the incarnation of Christ. I hope you realize that. He was born, he was begotten to make all this possible. That's really the focus of the whole passage that we've got today, by the way. All of these promises that we're looking at are possible because Christ was born. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So what did he come to do? Okay, we get these promises because he came because he was born, because he was begotten of God, what did he come to do? And hath given us an understanding. He came to give us an understanding. Did you know that believers have been given grace to be able to grasp biblical truths? Only believers have that. The ability to understand God's word to understand them and to be able to put them into practice. Why? Why have we been given this special understanding? I mean, why give, why give believers this special understanding, make us the only ones that can understand God's Word? Why do we have it? Well, John says that too. That we may know Him that is true. So I can know Him. You see, true knowledge of God is a gift of the grace of God. The ability to know God, to understand His Word, that, that itself is a gift from God. Only made possible because Christ came here. Jesus is true and Jesus is gracious and He provided this for us. John then goes on to say, that the reason that all this happens is that we may be in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus. This is the true God and eternal life, he says. Now, we've already looked at nine different times when John, in this letter, speaks of our being in God or in Jesus. Nine times, you know, five-chapter book, John says, in God, in Jesus, in Christ. We've talked a lot about this mutual indwelling that we share as Christians. Why do you suppose John brings it up one more time in the second to the last verse of the book? 
one more time. He's trying to encourage us. He's trying to assure us. Remember, that's what uh, one of the major things First John's about also, is assuring these people who are reading. Because they're getting all kinds of heretics from outside telling them wrong theology. John's trying to encourage these folk, people, uplift them, assure them, just like you and I ought to be doing for each other. He's trying to assure us of our standing as believers in order to counter any doubts that they may be getting from the unbelieving world and from the heretics around them. You see, in John's day, there were heretics who were deliberately trying to deceive people in the church. In our day, it might be a little more subtle, but the anxiety and the uncertainty is still there. There's a lot of deception in this world today. Has anybody noticed that? Uh, there's a lot of deception. There's a lot of gaslighting. You know, one of the, one of the pet peeves, I, I listen to the radio. Uh, I spend a lot of time staring out the windshield listening to the radio. Uh, am I, the insult to my intelligence, I'm going to get on a soapbox for a little bit, insulting my intelligence in such a way, three years ago, President Zelensky of the Ukraine was a bad guy for speaking to President Trump. Today, he's a hero of the world for standing up against Putin. Am, am I expected to shift gears that quickly? Do you think I'm that stupid? There's a lot of deception in the world today, isn't there? John is trying to assure people, Jesus is the truth. You are in Christ. He is the truth. He is righteousness. You can be truth and righteousness as well. You don't have to be deceptive. You don't have to be dark. You don't have to be like this world that's under the rule of the evil one. They can't help it. You can. That's how John's wrapping up this book, you see. Be different. In our day, it's a little more subtle. But people are still uncertain. People are still deceptive. John is trying to assure these people that if they hold fast to the message that they received from the ones who received it from Jesus himself, are going to be in good standing. Stay true. Jesus passed on his gospel. John received that gospel. Now John is passing it on to these folks. You hang tight to that and pass it along. You're going to be all right. See, John's ending, and he's giving our, us, his readers, a note of assurance and a note of hope. And we could use that in this world, couldn't we? So wrap up with verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. I can't help but notice that 1 John ends very similar to a lot of other New Testament letters. Almost all the epistles in the New Testament end with a warning. Almost all of them. Mark it down. You go ahead and check back. Almost every one of them ends in a warning, and 1 John is no different. Keep yourselves from idols. Protect yourselves from trusting, from following, from obeying, or from worshiping anyone or anything other than God himself and his son, Jesus Christ. And again, that stands in pretty stark contrast with the idea of knowing him that is true. And this is just as important 
to us today as it was in John's day. Well, what do you mean, Brother Dan? We don't have idols. We don't bow down to idols in 21st century America, do we? Surely we don't need to worry about that anymore. It's true. In John's day, the possibility was very real that you could be forced by the Roman government to make offerings to various false gods, forced to make offerings to false gods, forced to face lions if you didn't, we don't necessarily have that today. I don't have any government agents coming in and forcing me to uh, make offerings, make payments to the false gods in their temple. But I am asked to make concessions to many other things, aren't I? I'm asked to make concessions to a lot of other belief systems or else make payments to, some of which are just as much a religion as any other, Again, I don't really want to get into political grounds here, but it's hard not to. It was political in John's day, it's political in our day as well. The simple truth is that we should make no concessions to anything or anyone but God himself and his son Jesus Christ. Not Planned Parenthood, not the CDC, not to the cult of climate change, or anything else that we are asked to make concessions to. The world is under the control of the devil. They can't help it. They can't help it. They have to make concessions to these things. They have nowhere else to go. You and I do. That's the blessing of being in Christ, don't you see? I don't have to, and I better not make any concessions to these things. I owe allegiance to only one. God and to his son, Jesus Christ. We as believers have the way of truth, you see. There's a lot of deception. There's a whole world of deception. We have the way of truth. We have the way of escape for those folks out there. That's what I was saying to Peter just Friday. Have you shared that way of escape with anyone this past week? You mind if I close in a word of prayer?